Hello, fellow travelers. This is David Woods, your host and trusted guide. Welcome to our little fellowship as we gather to discuss the Christian life in a post-Christian world. We are broadcasting from Babylon with love. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> welcome back to the pod that takes months <laughs> to get where it said it would go. Look, it's been a minute, Laura, uh, but it's not just me. It's me and you back again. We are back in action. Now, look, how back are we? <laughs> well, what we are going to do today is we are going to talk about chapter, I think it's four. Chapter four. In the Gibsey, how to be unlucky. Um and then we have uh, another podcast that's going to be coming up uh, following this one. And that, Laura, surprise, is going to be the last podcast. No. That's right. What? I know. I could hear a thousand voices go up all over the world in shock and horror. But it's true, my friends. Uh, we are going to be retiring the podcast uh, imminently. This is the wrong word. <laughs> that oh. would be like... Good night. Wow. Um, but, okay, look, I have no more extra time in my life. The margins are full. The margins are full. And at this point, it is frustrating how I am not able to follow through with the things I had hoped to uh, when it comes to this little podcast that could. And I feel uh, I feel like a piece of garbage, actually. <laughs> feel oh, like, don't feel, feel like, wow, like garbage. what is happening with this guy? So, look. Life is full. Life is full of good things, and the Lord's called me to good things in a good season. And I feel like uh, this is not this is not something that the Lord is calling me to at this particular moment. Now, I will say it's not over forever. Is my sense? Okay, that's my. Sense. You tell you tell you this is your train. <laughs> I'm just riding oh, on it. Laura. Okay. Um, but I I could imagine I mm. could imagine it. A future wherein this comes back in, in a sustainable way when you have sort of the vision and the margin, maybe when all the kids are in school, you know, <laughs> yeah. doing their thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, let, me, yeah. Uh, let me paint a picture. All right. Like, imagine this. This is not going to happen. But imagine there was a place in which all of the technical stuff was just set up. Mm. Somebody was just there whenever you and I were able to be there. And we just parachuted in. Yeah. Had a little chat. Mm -hmm. We thanked whoever may be. Right. We left. Mm -hmm. And they did all the things. And yeah. then they just uploaded, did the website. And all the yeah. I just can't do all those things. No, totally understand. Uh, people, I don't know. I don't know how David Woods lives his day to day life with all the things on his plate. I have a lot less things on my plate. And I don't, I feel overwhelmed. So uh, when he told me a few weeks ago, like, I think we're wrapping it up. I was not surprised because I, I don't know where you would find the margin to keep it up. It's just tough. It's like anytime I would, it's it's almost deliberately I'm not going to be spending that time with my kids at that point. Like Ooh, That's really wow. what it is. Are you hearing that audience? Which is not on the audience. He should be with his children right now. <laughs> but it is just like that's – and, you know, if someone was – look, Laura, if someone heard this and they were like, oh, man, but I, I will pay you to – I will compensate whoa, you. Whoa, 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 whoa. Then I could be like, hey, kids, you know, 
Uh, dad's gonna be home there. a little late for dinner, but guess what? Dinner's gonna be better. <laughs> if you've got a recording studio, <laughs> dinner's gonna be a steak. yeah. And I don't know what's your hourly stipend. Um, to then then we might consider it. But okay, look, it's been a labor of love. Yeah, it's been so it's been fun. A labor of love. We it won't say goodbye yet. We'll no, save the goodbyes no, no, no. for next time. Next episode. Um, but it's been super fun. I feel like we said a lot of things that um, were worth saying. I feel like a lot of our episodes hold up uh, to to listening down the road, even out of their particular moment. And honestly, I feel like, yeah, the world doesn't need a ton more content from anyone. I have um, so much more to say. <laughs> Laura's just got it started. But I, With this I'm like, political t- election t- year t- coming up, I, I have know. a lot. I feel like I've said everything that needs said, but um, I don't, yeah, I don't feel that kind of fire to keep talking so that people have to hear me. Um, there were certain things, like I started the podcast being, man, I want to encourage Christians to be able to live a good life and not be prone to any number of things, but to think, man, this is a good life and it's full of good things. And I want to encourage that. And we talked about a lot of good things and we tried to encourage people. And at that point, I'm like, if you've been listening for the last four and some change, almost five years, yeah, which is crazy. That is wild. Um, and you were like, yeah, I dig that. I, I agree with this, or this was helpful or encouraging. Then it's like, yeah, well, then people are going to go forth and live. They don't need to be like, well, I don't know, until there's another episode, you know, what to do. <laughs> it's like, you don't need more of that content. You you know, we just need good lives. We just need to keep keep getting after it so i feel like there was a burden i had like a stirring i felt like the lord called me to that in that season i was super thankful when you uh joined and it's been a pleasure carry the burden and bring a perspective that was sorely lacking and was also keeping me from my less uh good self (laughs) as lisa might say she's like i think it's good when laura's on that's what you (laughs) say i think it's good when laura's on i don't don't Um, know what it means but thank you lisa yeah so i I just i can't thank anybody enough who has listened to us at all um i'm i'm happy if it was of some use to people it's been super fun i don't think it is done done but i do think we will be retiring for uh for an extended break let's put it that way yeah don't expect us in three or four months no 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 i'm not i'm not like don't you have to keep it in your podcast feed like (laughs) someday two to three years down the line you might think what is this it's like arthur it's like when britain needs (laughs) merlin merlin no arthur Arthur? well when when britain needs him he'll like he'll be summoned from the Mm -hmm. distant lands Mm -hmm. uh like that hideous strength vibe right that's the babylon vibe uh so yeah when (laughs) the world needs us again no uh someday it'll recur for now though we will say this is not the send-off episode that's next time this is our our uh our sort of send-off of the gibsey um Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there's a lot more in the gibsey obviously we made it to chapter four sort of and we are referring to how to be unlucky by joshua gibbs that's right um yeah we have not covered the whole thing um but better to cover parts of it well than the whole thing, you know, not as well. So uh, hopefully it's given you a sort of a taste and an appetite for what he has to say. And you can also, he has um, website, blog. Um, he just released a new book this past year, which I've heard is great. So there's more to, to learn about him for sure. If anything we're talking about here intrigues you. You should check out Joshua Gibbs. Yeah, Gibbs, he can't can't stop, won't stop. I no, mean, yeah. You talk about you talk about someone who doesn't need the break, maybe, 
uh, or maybe he does. I don't know, but he doesn't. He doesn't have to take it because he is he is prolific. We should say yes, uh, and especially because he's like around my age at least, um, which is wild. So yeah, more from Gibbsy. If you're interested, if you're enticed or interested in the episodes and hadn't read the book yet, I hope that was an encouragement to like yeah, check the book out. It's totally worth your time. Uh, I also like reading things by people that you know you may not always agree with everything. Like right, it's important to be able to read. Uh, respectfully charitably uh especially out of your comfort zone this has a really strong sort of like you know dude perspective on all sorts of things <laughs> like that might not be out of that might be totally too much of what everyone already hears but um i'm okay with i'm okay with like a strong take yeah. you know from a distinct perspective yeah and a distinct personality yep. there's something to there's something to respond to to react to to build from yeah I like chewing on that. Now, we are going to wrap on this uh, chapter. This chapter is on temptation. Yes. What a wild place to start. Uh, what a wild place to end, which is in the middle of the book, really. Uh, but this chapter is also full of, like, compelling stories. Great examples. He's Great a good. Examples. He's good with examples. Yeah, maybe we can kick it off. I want to read a little bit of that. That opening section of chapter four, he begins the chapter talking about besetting sins besetting sins yeah like, what is a besetting sin i remember hearing that language once upon a time from dr keller who was a, probably quoting like john owen i think it was mm -hmm. talking about how to deal with the besetting sins it's like an old term yeah um, but gibbsy kind of starts there do you want to uh yeah i can read, read some a little something and it's uh coming from you know, it, this book is constantly referring back to Boethius's Consolation of Philosophy. Um, and in that, the, um, the embodiment of philosophy, lady philosophy, uh, meets our protagonist and says that part of his problem or his main problem is that he has forgotten who he is. So Gibbs sort of begins the chapter by talking about... Um, every kind of sin is an amnesia, so... Uh, here is an extended quote from him. He says, While all sin involves self-forgetting, the idea is most easily illustrated and understood with a certain kind of sin, the besetting sin. A besetting sin is not a sin a man commits occasionally. A besetting sin is a sin a man commits every day. A certain man might steal something but once a year. For all his problems, he is not tempted to take what, he does, what does not belong to him. And referring to this man as a thief makes little sense, for even if he is painfully honest with himself, he cannot remember the last thing he stole. The devil is cunning, and he knows there is little point in attacking a man where he is strong. However, the non-thief in question does have a terrible weakness for liquor, and the devil has an impressive track record of successfully tempting the man to drunkenness at least four or five nights a week. Drunkenness is his besetting sin. A man's besetting sin is the sin he thinks of when he hears the word sin. When the priest refers to sin, the glutton thinks only of gluttony. When the lecher reads St. Paul describe bondage to decay, he thinks only of lust. The glutton and the lecher commit sins other than gluttony and drunkenness, though they experience a little guilt for these sins. They are not crushed underneath the weight of these sins. On the rare occasion the lecher has too much to drink, he confesses his sin in the morning after, accepts forgiveness, and goes, gets on with the day. When the glutton is at the hardware store and does not feel like waiting 20 minutes in line to buy just one nail, he pockets the nail and the next day has nearly forgotten all about his thieving. 
or else he returns to the store, ashamedly pays for the nail, and does not steal anything else for many years. We accept forgiveness for occasional sins, for we do not know when we will commit them again. We tend to find it much harder to accept forgiveness for our besetting sins, though, because we cannot conceive of going a day without them. I find that really helpful, especially the description of the kind of sin that you actually more readily feel forgiven for. Yeah. That, it, to me, was really, I was mm-hmm. like, ooh, I know what that is. The, if the besetting sin is that sin that it, it doesn't, it feels like a cheat when you ask for forgiveness. Right. Because, and I think he says this a little bit later, but it's like, you're, you're so used to this sin, you think of it as an indelible part of you, and you know you're going to do it again. Mm-hmm. Or you just something in you is just like I, I can't even imagine not being able to, or right. being able to resist this. Yeah, or you use it as an identity marker. Yeah, yeah, and so then asking for forgiveness or the guilt that follows it always also feels like cheap grace. It just feels like mm. oh, this, he knows, the Lord knows, I know, and it's almost like we're just pretending that this yeah. is going to go away now that I feel bad in the moment. Um, but I, I just love that picture of like, those are very occasional sins. You're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. What was I thinking? And then mm-hmm. you have a really profound, like insincere moment of repentance and you feel forgiven. But how many times have we either felt or have someone like, you know, I remember many people have talked to me like, yeah, I like repent or apologize, but it doesn't feel like it mm-hmm. should be, you know, it just, it doesn't take away my feeling of like guilt and stuff like that. It doesn't, it's hard to receive that. I think often those are probably people's besetting sins that they're repenting of right. continually. Yeah. And this idea of if sin, uh, sin is amnesia, right? He, he sort of goes on to say that, yeah, um, a man comes to think of his besetting sin as his real self, his true self hidden beneath all the pretenses of fatherhood career and Christian conviction, right? So, so if you come to a point where you ask, you know, a person, who are you? And their first thought is their sin is as their identity. Well, then they're, they have a sense of amnesia, right? Their first thought isn't like, I'm a child of God, or I'm, you know, a father or a mother. It's like, I am this sin. This one thing is rules my life. And it's interesting because he talks about uh, sin and like what is it or evil what is it and he, you know referring to Augustine but obviously Boethius they're all in this the same you know they're all in the same kind of area they're all familiar yeah. with the same kind of uh, topics uh, metaphysical topics and uh, Augustine famously does describe sin as the absence of good evil is the absence of good it's not a qualitative it's not an actual substance in and of itself he says a tear in the fabric Mm-hmm. Or it gives his example, like the crack in the Liberty Bell. Yeah, which is such a great example. It's a great example because he's like, you cannot think of the Liberty Bell without the crack, yeah. right? Or at least you, we don't think of it without the crack. And yet if someone were to come to school, <laughs> show and tell day, reach into their pocket, bring out nothing in their hand and say, I brought the crack of the Liberty Bell. Right. Behold, right? And, and yet that's not what the bell is. The bell is not this absence. The bell is everything around that, right? The bell mm-hmm. is everything that has substance. So it's so interesting, and it is a great illustration of like something we identify by what's not a part mm-hmm. of it, as though if it, it's a, the definable feature of what it positively is. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel that that's something people genuinely do about themselves, that that sin does become so common in the experience 
become so sort of fundamental to how we think of ourselves that we actually do just sort of adopt those categories as like this is just my personality this like what does that even mean yeah i I don't know you know i uh, i think when it comes to besetting things definitely um like when it's sort of you're getting to when you're in that phase of like constant self-disappointment at a repeated pattern of behavior i think it can be a struggle to not sort of, I think that that's what despair is, right? Is this, like, this is the, it becomes, it clouds your whole vision and you can't think of anything else, but that, that sin you're dealing with, like, this is me now, this is what's happening, Mm. which I think is part of the devil's tactic, right? Um, But yeah, I I wonder, you know, to what degree, you know, I have to examine my own heart and think, okay, in what ways am I doing that? And um, I don't know, I, I, I'm curious about sort of the commonness of that or if it's just for something that is like a besetting, um, overt, consistent struggle. I'm trying to remember what the terms are um, for the different kinds of sins, you know. Um, oh, like sort of sins the, of omission, commission, yeah, those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah and, and to what degree or the ones that are outward facing versus like inward I can't remember now as it's 3.30 p.m. and <laughs> my brain's fading. But but there's like, you know, um, yeah, just sort of those different layers of things. But I, I'm curious, David, about your thoughts on, on this idea of like evil as the absence of good and like why you think that concept might be helpful practically or pastorally or is that just some like philosophical mumbo jumbo? Yeah, I mean, I think it can feel like the latter at first, right? Like... Okay, you're saying evil lacks substance, but like murder and assault and all like the worst things in the world right. are not like these abstractions. So mm-hmm. it can feel like simply untrue or unhelpful when it comes to like the experience of evil, which is a distinct, definable experience. And yet, if you're thinking about the trajectory of like meaning or something, right? And you think about, um, or what was that? What's that book that you've recommended? It was really good. Uh, Everything said is untrue. It's the same kind of idea. Mm-hmm. That like at the end of the age, the only thing that will remain is is the love and reality of God and those who are participating in that. That's the only thing ultimately that's real, yeah. that has real substance perpetually. Um, that might seem just purely abstract but i do find that that's like it is helpful in the way of like plato's cave is helpful of thinking like oh man like i'm like dabbling in shadows like this isn't Mm. this isn't real real Mm -hmm. it feels overwhelming it feels like it's part of me it feels like i can't control it feels like i can't get out of it but like at at the end this won't even be a thing it won't exist it'll have Mm. non-existence like this yeah that's a good reminder so there's something there that i think can be tremendously encouraging or bracing to think that the things that seem to dominate us especially that alienate us from the lord right or make us feel guilt and shame and like failure and everything like that do not exist 
in the kingdom of God. They do not, they're not that real, mm -hmm. that they are shadows, uh, mud pies, whatever. I don't know. There is something there that I do find helpful because the experience of temptation and sin is like a horse wearing blinders. It's like it's all mm -hmm. that's happening. It's, yeah. It's completely absorbing. Oh, man. In your attention, in mm -hmm. your focus. And it can feel like, oh, I, there's nothing I can do. This is all mm -hmm. there is. Like, it's too late. It's like... This is just, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just such a mess. What a, what a horrible person. I'm just, you know, you can feel like you give in to that, like the dungeon or the giant of despair in Pilgrim's Right. Progress, right. And he's like got the key in his pocket the whole time. And he's just like sitting in that cell and he's just like, it's all over. Like it can feel <laughs> like that. Mm -hmm. So I do think considering sin or evil as something that is finally not real, that mm -hmm. is finally not true. Mm-hmm. Um, can be a helpful pastoral, whatever you want to call it, way of thinking about ourselves, especially when we're given to thinking of ourselves in despairing ways of saying, I'm never going to get out of this depression. I'm never going to be anybody who can resist anger. I'm never mm -hmm. going to be able to. It's like those things feel so strong. And I think it is important to at least have the, the teeth of them removed when you're reflecting on it to just proportionate better just mm -hmm. to be able to say ah oh, why am i uh, giving this a reality it doesn't seem to actually possess according to the lord mm. um like i don't remember it might have been a preacher or something i read once upon a time but it was like you know there's about there's like five sins i mean there might be seven but like there's like <laughs> yeah. five ways you can say you know like like sin is fundamentally at the end of the day boring Yes. In the sense that it's repetitive. There's not, it's not, it doesn't have yes. creativity to it. Like it, it doesn't really have. And so when that becomes like the dominant, a dominant feature of your life or feels like it's hijacked your life, it is also important to just sort of look at the smallness of it and be like, really? Is that like my life is just like, just trying mm -hmm. to fight against this like relatively banal, silly, um, sort of like, I, I use this phrase at the beginning of our, our season or our first episode or something, but like, um, as a guy, it's bracing for me to, to hear someone say that the sins that might feel like they dominate me at times are like, that's like, that's little boy stuff. <laughs> like that's little boy stuff. It's yeah. time to grow up. That's little boy stuff. Hmm. And I'm like, yeah, that's little boy, like flee youthful lust. Like, like that's mm. little boy stuff. That's adolescent. That is like, that's like, like juvenile Christianity. Yeah. That's like juvenile, like temptation. That's like, there is something about this bigger picture of like actually being good, actually growing. Right. I think these things are absolutely working together. If you feel as a Christian, your life is just fighting against these besetting sins in this never ending battle. It's, it's because you don't have a, a sense of growth and maturity that would finally or begin to make those sins look pathetic. Like mm. they're pathetic. In yeah. The and we just need, we need an imagination for like, yeah, a, a good virtuous life. Cause that's what, and that's why we're so attracted to all, all these stories, right. Of these like good yeah. and virtuous heroes. We're like, wow. Imagine if you actually were good. Yeah. Yeah, to see courage, to see honor, integrity, nobility, those kinds of things are are inspiring for people of every single age, right? Mm -hmm. um, and they and they are because of because of that as well. Like the the stronger vision you have of the good, the stronger and clear sense you have of a calling from the Lord, responsibilities right. in your life, a purpose, grounded in yeah, a reality of a context in which people you're responsible for other people, not just yourself right you're responsible yeah. for a role in particular things like the more you have that as a defined thing 
the more sin looks like it's a petty thing trying to get in the way of something genuinely good hmm. right mm-hmm. Where, but i think if if you're just like i got saved and i and i go to church and then i try not to sin right For, and sin i don't know like, why yeah then the sin is like 50 of 50 50 of your narrative like mm-hmm. it's like i do those things and then i try not to be awful or try not to be bad you know and like that it's absolutely for me related to the whether or not you have a vision or a sense of growth in the lord of calling to be more and more mature year over year growing in your ability to understand to be clear about to be excited about to be uh, more responsible for the good the lord's calling mm-hmm. you into i think sin then can take its place and it doesn't feel or it's not granted the same kind of power as when our faith is sort of lethargic or sort of static or stagnant i think that's when sin feels like oh this is who i am i just can't escape this right yeah and i like that your use of the word responsibility there right there is uh, not to say that people with responsibility don't sin, but there is something to when the Lord reminds you of responsibility and the things he's given you to do, right? It's that reminder of purpose. Then the other things do fade a little bit. Like, uh, you know, my desire for laziness or sloth is lessened after like a rousing reminder of, you know, like the importance of ministry or, you know, th- those sort of things yeah. of like, I, if I meet with an alumni who is tells me how grateful they are for for me teaching them, suddenly I'm not as tired the next day going to work. Right? I'm not as tempted to like. That's true. So yeah, there is, yeah, it it's yeah, there, something about when the Lord reminds us in a good way, not in like a condemning way, but a good way of our responsibility. It is motivating to yeah. resist temptation. There, just uh, the other day, uh, Jordan was asking me like, how how's it you know coming back from the break, like all that kind of stuff. Because like the first day it was like, oh man, I don't, I'm not, I'm not ready for this. <laughs> like there wasn't teaching. It was just, you know, the meeting stuff. And it was just like the, you know, get the gang back together. But I didn't feel the end. I'm just like, oh, I don't know, man. It's going to be a rough week back. You know, it's going to be like that jet lag coming out of a break. Right. Mm-hmm. But then he asked me, I think uh, yesterday um, and a, a few days, a couple of days, whatever, of teaching under my belt. And he's like, how's it going? And almost with the expectation, I would probably kind of lean into that same mm-hmm. thing as I probably said on Monday and I was like, I feel great. Yeah. I feel, I was like, I've had these classes that were interesting and Mm -hmm. I like, it was fun to roll out this material and talk about these crazy things and the kids were responding to it. And I'm like, instead of like feeling drained by that, I feel completely energized Mm. and focused. I'm like, Oh yeah, this is my job. I'm a teacher. Like, this is my, like, Oh, that's right. I didn't teach. haven't taught this since last year. And now I'm like, you know, I'm on that back in it. Yeah. Back in it. And I felt like I said, surprisingly, I haven't gotten like a lot of sleep or anything. <laughs> it's not, it's not that I'm dialed back in in all the ways, but, um, but it was like, no, I feel like the kids have given me a lot of energy because the class space and our class time has been a lot of fun. Right. And it's been like really like it's pulled me forward into the week, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think in general, if the Christian life, like I've been talking about this a lot at our church, but like the Lord has this, you know, he has us all in a context which is like for us, South Orange County, um, families that we come from, people that we interact with. And and then we all have this conversation with the Lord in our hearts. We all have this like inner dialogue, this inner kind of ongoing, kind of hidden from everybody else, sort of, uh, you know, conversation with the Lord. And then we have 
the things he's called us to, the callings he has in our life. And they're different in different seasons. But man, laying hold of like, okay, I understand my context. I am in this place. This is my family. This is my responsibility. These are the people that the Lord has asked me to be with and for. Hmm. Like I'm clear about mm-hmm. who those people are, my church, my family, my school, whatever. That's really helpful. Uh, my conversation with the Lord, if that kind of lags, then it'll kind of pull and whatever. But if that's pretty sharp or it's at least, at least consistent, Okay, that sharpens me up, kind of mm-hmm. focuses me. And then that last one of like, what does the Lord ask me to be responsible for? And yeah. what is he actually calling me into in this season? And honestly, uh, you know, I kind of meandered through it at the beginning. But I prayed a lot over the break, and I felt like the Lord was saying, the, the podcast is not something I'm calling you to right now. Hmm. I, you only have so much energy and time, and I want it to be focused in here, here, here. And I was like, okay, I got to be able to hear that. Yeah. Not just labor under like feeling like guilty for never being able to <laughs> do, do the thing I say I'm going to do. Um, so it was like a, there was a real freedom in hearing from the Lord that I'm not calling you to do 10 things. Mm-hmm. I'm going to call you to do a few right. things well. And even though this is something you always kind of assumed you would keep doing, um, I really felt from those prayers that this season was not that was not what he was calling me to. And that it was like, no, we can let's pause that for a little while. Um, and I was like, and that was, that was bracing too. I mean, I rolled in a little hot and kind of like dropped that on you out of nowhere, but, (laughs) um, you know, but it wasn't just like, oh, I'm burned out. It really was like, I like, this doesn't make sense. I, cause before it was a responsibility that I felt called to, to Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. uh, bring certain conversations to people if they were interested, uh, have certain people be able to speak to certain things that wasn't just whatever, uh, things that weren't maybe always in play in the kind of conventional contemporary christian atmosphere or whatever it was um i felt like that was important felt like no i'm like Mm -hmm. that's the thing i want to kind of get that out there like hey these are good things christians can be up to life's bigger than just whatever um and then praying about that and feeling like oh lord man i'm struggling under this feeling guilty about this all the time like is this what do you want me to do with this how can i find space or margin Mm -hmm. and then it feeling like Oh, no, you're just calling me to, to not. Yeah, which is a good, it's an important word on like, as we're talking about temptation and things. Um, sometimes we don't always have the best diagnostic in our heads of like, is this a sinful thing I'm doing right now or not? And sometimes you have to have the community or be like, is so to your example, like I haven't devoted much time to this responsibility is that sinful of me? And then for the Lord to come in and say, actually, no, I'm, I'm shifting your responsibility now. And then because that can also be part of the like amnesia, right? Is we we put things in as identity markers that aren't meant to be. And sometimes that's sin. And sometimes that's identities or responsibilities. That the Lord is like, I haven't actually called you to that. Or that's not the name I've given you. Um You've that's forgotten really, what I'm actually, what I, you actually are meant for. Yeah, that's, and that's really helpful. And I, I do think that's been the case here where you could say, well, this thing is good. So obviously, you know, yeah. you should just keep Never doing stop. a good thing. But it's like calling is like, has to be from the Lord. It's like, mm-hmm. is the Lord asking you to do this? And if not, it is going to drain and do, and potentially twist up something that is good. True. Right. Like, you, I mean, people do this with like Christian service all the time. Like, oh, man, look, yeah. I give, 
and and they say almost bitterly like and and you know, I'm not even appreciated but I sacrifice you know it's almost like it becomes like mm-hmm. this thing that's not good at all anymore it becomes like, like almost this place of bitterness like I know people so many people who've left churches because they volunteered so much and weren't acknowledged enough yeah right and so like being able to discern in the Lord like Lord are you calling me to this this good thing um, is like a second level right it isn't like the first level is like is this sin? <laughs> yes. Yeah, <laughs> Shouldn't yeah, yeah. be up to anything that's sin. Is this one of the seven? Yeah. And and then if you're, but if you're past that and you're just like, okay, I'm just a finite being, right? Yep. Um, I only have so much time and energy. What does the Lord want me to do with that? It mm-hmm. can't be 12 things. It can maybe be two or three, like right. to do those things well. And then I think having that kind of pruning or that kind of focus and clarity it really does energize the things you do know you're mm-hmm. called to. Like, I know I'm called to teach. I know I'm called to pastor. I know I'm called to, you know, be a, a good husband and father. Like, it really is like, okay, cool. Like, mm-hmm. that gives me something to, like, really, like, say, I want to hone that. I want to, like, cultivate that. Mm-hmm. I want to be more invested, more intentional about those things. Um, but, yeah, it is wild. I think Christians can just start adopting so many things that are just good. And I was like, well, I'm supposed to be a part of, like, 17 book clubs and five Bible studies. and Because they're all good. Yeah. And they're all enjoyable when you're there and stuff like that. But, like, you're a person. like Right. And you know, there is an element of, there can be an element of, like, pride or something else at mm-hmm. play when you refuse to say no to certain things, right? Yeah, I felt like I preached on Zachariah in the temple. <laughs> like, the Lord, like, like it was like this delightful invitation to a little more silence in my own life. Mm-hmm. I was like, Ooh, a little less me, a little less talky talk. Um, and it really was like freeing. It felt like, yeah, let's just be a little quieter. Um, and focus on these things I know, um, he wants me to invest in, but yeah, anyway, it, it does. It feels freeing to be able to say, okay, I know what the Lord's called me to. I certainly know what he hasn't called me to. Um, and being able to like sharpen that up and focus that up, I think can also help us as we deal with those besetting sins. Mm-hmm. It's like those, those are the things that the devil uses to completely derail, um, the calling the Lord has on your life in, in, yeah. the, in the fundamental ways he, he has that now. One of the helpful things about this chapter, which we've already mentioned, is the illustrations, is the stories, and there is a scene uh, in which he gets kind of screw tape letter Z, yeah, right, mm-hmm. and he's describing. Um, maybe I can read that uh, that section uh, from the book. Um, he's describing the. He's, it's it's a it's a really kind of like the what's the anatomy of sin and temptation. For someone who doesn't feel like they're like hmm. this lecherous, horrible person and isn't like, doesn't think of themselves as like planning on being awful or something like this. Um, how would you, how would you set that up? Uh, well, are you going to do the one with the grown man or the, the student? I'm going to do the one with the grown man. Yeah. Yeah. So he sort of, uh, yeah, does the screw tapes, letters type um, back and forth between the man and the devil um, of sort of what he is thinking when he's at he's at a Christmas party, um, I think it says maybe he's had a few drinks. Things are good and happy, and there's uh, a, an attractive coworker yeah. who he um, and kind of like how the devil maybe put sort of how the thought process of temptation works, um, and and kind of how it grows and evolves and and r- rapidly gets out of control. Yeah. Okay. So here we go. Consider for a moment a married man at his company's Christmas party. 
let us say there is a woman at his party who is beautiful, admirable, and whom the married man thinks of quite highly. The devil often opens with an outrageous offer, then carefully retreats. As the married man stands conversing with two friends, the woman he admires join the group, joins the group to talk. The devil, she likes you. You should sleep with her. The man, obviously not. I would never betray my wife. The devil, that's not what I said. You don't have to sleep with her. You could kiss her, though. You could tell her you need to discuss something with her privately, something pertaining to work, and then you could kiss her on the mouth when no one was looking. Then you could say, oh, I'm sorry, in a charming sort of way, which would let her know that you like her enough to take her to bed, but that you have other obligations. There would be a tragic sweetness to it. From then on, every time you saw her, you would have that memory of a kiss, and you could both savor the fact that sex is desirable, but not feasible. It might even be better than having an actual affair because those things always wind down in such a tawdry, depressing manner. <laughs> so don't sleep with her, but kiss her passionately. That would not be cheating on your wife. That's not infidelity. The man, I'm not going to kiss her. My wife would kill me if she found out. I'd be heartbroken if I found out my wife had kissed another man, especially if it was some passionate kiss full of longing. The devil, don't kiss her then. That's fine. You still admire her though. You can let her know how much you admire her. You can embrace her at the end of the evening. It could be the kind of embrace which comes with plausible deniability. The kind of thing which, if your wife saw it, would merely make her think, if he does anything else with her, I'm going to worry, although a simple embrace doesn't warrant too much concern. You could whisper something to her when you hold her, some kind of praise which could be romantic but might also be professional praise. You could say, you're amazing. It might mean, you're an amazing litigator. Or it might mean, you're an amazing woman with amazing legs who looks amazing in that skirt. Who could say? You would know what it meant, but even you would know what it meant if you even wanted it to mean that. The man. People would notice that kind of thing. It would not look as innocent as you think it would. It's been nine years since I embraced an attractive woman my age who was not my wife, and it left me dazed and nervous. The devil. Of course, of course. Don't hold her. Don't embrace her. A lot can be communicated through a simple glance, though. A woman can discern the different ways in which a man looks at her. When she speaks, look her in the eyes. And when she stops speaking, keep gazing into her eyes. Have you ever noticed how difficult it is to look someone in the eyes? If you meet someone's gaze and hold it for even a fraction of a second too long, they know. If you want this woman to know what you think of her, you could communicate all of that in the way you look at her. No one p would possibly notice. Such a gesture barely even exists. The man, true, and I have looked at her before, though not what you're describing. Obviously, this sort of thing is not infidelity. Still, this is a Christmas party. I feel bad doing this kind of thing at a Christmas party, especially after my wife told me to have a good time and not hurry back. I'm here with the blessing of my wife, and to betray that allowance would make me feel awful. Besides, a glance is not going to be enough to show her how much I admire her. The devil. She will say something comical in a moment, and when everyone laughs, touch her arm in a familiar way. Have you not seen your wife do the same thing when your friend Joseph tells a joke? The man. I have. The devil. It's just a friendly gesture. It means nothing. Look, when we're talking about something as basic as touching someone's arm affectionately, we've left behind every untoward thing we've been talking about for the last several minutes. Touching someone's arm is nothing. A straight man sometimes touches another straight man on the arm when he says something funny. It's nothing. The man. You're right. I'm going to do it. 
At this moment, the woman says something comical, and the happily married man touches her arm affectionately as everyone laughs at the joke. The devil. Oh, now you've done it, my friend. The man. Done what? At which point, the devil points out how far the happily married man has just gone, and that he has gone further than he thought or intended, and that a little more could not possibly do more damage than has already been done. (laughs) That's wild. Ooh. Yeah, well, and that like that immediate guilt response too of like, yeah, feeling like this isn't a big deal. This thing isn't a big deal, and then all and then it happens, and you're like, this is a huge deal. What have I done? What have I done? Do you think that's um, is that a, a true thing though? At the end there, where it says, um, well, you might as well like in for a penny, in for a pound. Do you think is that as common as uh, maybe rhetorically we say? I think it's difficult probably to capture an emotional relationship. Okay, so this happens a lot. Uh, Married couples are often most in danger of the spouse's emotional relationships at work. Right. Because just the amount of time that people, and the the highs and lows of the work day, and oh, you know how it is, and you know how so-and-so is, and oh, I can't believe our boss called us in for this. Right. And there's a whole realm of feeling, thought, experiences the spouse is not there to share in any way. And so a spouse is like dependent on like when you get home, catching up on the day. And you usually, you just can't even reproduce that level of sort of like interaction throughout the day. Yeah, nuance. So like the, the emotional kind of relationship at work thing is, is often the place where the devil is happy to build those kinds of narratives over time. That one's obviously super condensed, but it, it's a glimpse of one that right. clearly has been in play in some way in the back of his mind for some time Mm -hmm. and like if I'm doing like marriage counseling or premarital counseling like it's always like a so uh, by the way you know like when married people go out into the world um, like they are they ought to miss one another they Mm -hmm. ought to long to share what's going on with one another Mm -hmm. Um, if you return home and all you do is put on a show at Netflix and that's how you unwind yeah guess what you're sharing a lot more nuance with your coworkers. Hmm. just because of the nature of the day. Hmm. Um, so you, it is something to genuinely be aware of. That's why I think it's a really sort of like good targeted story um, because it tends to be the place where people are surprised most that they end up in, if not actual sort of romantic infidelity, like right. a kind of an emotional infidelity mm-hmm. because of those subtleties that don't seem bad or, well, look, mm-hmm. I'm not going out of my way to be around this person. I work with them or whatever, right? Like mm-hmm. circumstance has put us in this situation. We shared that because we both understand what it's like to deal with that problem at work or whatever. So there's so many like excuses to yeah. that experience that I think for, for grownups, that is an actually really useful thing to mm-hmm. actually zero in on. And the idea that, yeah, something could be innocuous, appear innocuous, but in reality, the amount of like thought and processing behind it proves that it's not innocuous, right? So like a touch on the arm in this story is not actually a big deal, except for the fact that it was like, it's loaded with all this backstory and sort of um, longing, as he says. Yeah. And that's what I think he does so well in that particular narrative is showing you like if we were watching that at the party and you would just see like the, the, the simple gesture, which could mean nothing right. literally and probably mm-hmm. no one would think anything. Um, but knowing that it was like we talked about before, like what does the devil try next? 
Yes. Right? If you're talking mm-hmm. about growth and maturity, you have to be able to anticipate, oh, okay, in this season of life, where would the devil tempt me to bitterness against like my family or my spouse or my children or mm-hmm. frustration with the lack of time I have for myself? You know, like being able like you gotta really focus in on that kind of level of nuance. And that's why I think the story is really helpful because it really does like there are so many sort of like judo tricks the heart is doing to like keep you from looking straight at something that's actually being felt or thought by you like i've been talking about this a lot in church context but jeremiah 17 9 right the heart is desperately deceitful wicked Hmm. who can understand it jeremiah Mm -hmm. says and so i think that's a good picture of a heart right that's just sort of like flipping and flopping and the devil's just sort of dialogue with that heart Mm -hmm. that is willing to deceive the man be confused the man because it is tapping into something part of him like is desiring right but the other part of him knows is like unconscionable and like of course i would never do that i would never my wife right right so i do think you do have to have those moments like the screw tape kind of letter moments in which you're like how does this actually happen because the thought and feeling space of our inner life can be so shadowy Mm-hmm. so hidden even from mm-hmm. ourselves that we don't like let me journal what that entire bizarre thought process when I was sitting right. at that traffic light a minute ago like we don't do that and so mm-hmm. it can be really helpful to have someone slow us down and have a look at someone in that way um, I think it's a really powerful story for that reason yeah yeah and I think Gibbs does a good job it's sort of the transparency of like how the thought process evolves and yeah twists and winds um in complexity that the devil would take you to a precipice in your mind right and then back you off it to make you feel like you're actually a pretty good person mm-hmm. but really what's happened is a level of infidelity you probably couldn't have fathomed when you were driving to the party right right mm-hmm. you're like i can't even believe it. like my mind was hijacked by thinking about this woman the whole time what am i what did I and do? then and then you know if if it's a if the narrator there is sort of a, a godly virtuous man he will be haunted for months by a touch of the arm, right? Yeah, yeah. Because of, not the touch, but because of, in his head, he no, like yeah, had all exactly. these, yeah. No, exactly, that's self-awareness and realizing mm-hmm. what he allowed and what he pretended and what he was like, yeah. And that that's where I find it helpful. There's another story that we both have found. Oh, this, this, <laughs> I love this next helpful. one. Helpful. Uh, would you like to read this one? Well, um, it's too long, I think, to read all of it, okay. but maybe I could find a... Find a little choice, little section, we can set it up. A chunk of it. Um... Okay, but we could set up Christmas probably the morning. first part. Mm-hmm. Okay, he describes Christmas morning. I think it's for like a high schooler, right? A teenager? Yeah, it seems like a 17-year-old or something. Okay, so he's describing a Christmas... Is It, it is a Christmas morning. Okay, mm-hmm. a Christmas morning um, with his family. Um, I mean, it's just the most wonderful... Like wonderful, wonderful Christmas morning. Like he goes into like great detail about the food, how rich and wonderful yeah. the food is and how um, the company is fantastic. Like everybody's in that jovial mood. He talks about there being like good drinks around, like all the adults mm-hmm. are, in, are in like a, a really contented, really pleasant place. They're even like, hey, kid, why don't you have a little little sip of that the old (laughs) right or whatever for breakfast there's Uh, sausage biscuits croissants bacon raspberries brioche crepes right and your your dad's in a good mood you haven't been fighting with your parents you just get along um you're having fun conversation um and oh yeah and he talks about how um 
you usually smoke weed with your friend Daryl every once in a while, Darryl, but you have, yeah. but it's been more than a month then you've done that. So you don't feel like you have anything to hide with your family. You're, You're just like, shamed. no shame, like just good <laughs> terms, just celebration, like pure Christmas delight. Everything is good. And it, I mean, he describes it in such a way you really can feel it. Like you could really settle in. It's like right. a de- almost Dickensian. Uh-huh. Like you're like, this is a warm, wonderful uh, place. Fezziwig. Fezziwig, Fezziwig happiness. Yeah, for sure. Everything is good and rich and fine. Yes, everything is wonderful. And then. And then. And then um, your extended family arrives, your aunt and uncle and your cousins. Um, and he says, however, the last of your cousins to enter is Trent who is about your age and who seemed quite different when you last saw him. Upon recognizing him, you realize that he is not dressed in white or red or green as everyone else is, but gray and his hair is a mess. He carries a backpack and a sullen expression, greets you with a single syllable and then asks, where's your TV? In the den, which is two rooms away from the kitchen, Trent pulls a game console from his backpack, deftly connects it to your television, sits on the floor several feet away, and begins playing a game wherein he commands a samurai around Manhattan who, from time to time, cuts off the arms of prostitutes who collapse on the concrete, shriek, and then die. Every time Trent kills a prostitute, he earns a few points. You are amazed at the rapidity with which Trent went from the door to the game. Your cousin Nancy is still taking off her boots, and Trent has already slaughtered five people. The divine trance of the day is broken. In the kitchen, your uncle is laughing while your father tells a story. More coffee is brewing. A dish of fudge, macaroons, and raspberry pie is being passed around, and your mother is skinning the wax from a bottle of Frangelico. Someone has put on the soundtrack of a Charlie Brown Christmas, and somehow a Cavalier King Charles puppy named Muppet is being giddily passed from one person to the next. On the screen, Trent's avatar is standing over a woman in a miniskirt, and he plows a chainsaw through her abdomen. A little dazed, you leave the room and return to the kitchen. For the next hour, you try to leave all thoughts of Trent behind. You seem to be the only one who has noticed him at all, for everyone else in your house is carrying on as if nothing were wrong. In the quiet between one song and the next, the sound of a faint explosion issues from the den, but no one seems to notice, and you wonder if you are the only one who can hear it. After a while, you wander back into the den and say, we're all in the other room being human and eating and drinking and laughing. Do you want to join us, perhaps? Trent says, no, I'm good. It's it's really a wild thing the first time you hear the story because of how patient he is with the good. I think that's what's so sort of powerful about the story is when he takes so much time developing this how good this like day is in this household for you on your break and and man i don't know like you can feel it and because he does that when trent walks in it is like a it's wildly jarring like mm-hmm. it's it's not even just jarring like because the video game and like whatever horrible video game he's playing or you know um it's like it's so jarring that someone could walk into that space and not register any of the goodness they're walking through and like mm-hmm. have a beeline to try to get to this other thing. Yeah. And it is like, I don't know. It, it, it it's such a profound uh, story because again, when we talk about like sin or temptation or whatever, it's like, it's not about just sort of wrestling against like the no, it's like the yes, like the good is so good. 
mm-hmm. like the best things are such good things. Right. And so like when you see how beautiful the good can be in just an ordinary Christmas experience for an ordinary family, and then suddenly there's something that is not in any way connected to that, but is like just sort of this weird, sort of isolated, sort of like mm-hmm. narrowly focused, like violent, you know, <laughs> right. horrible, whatever. Right. Like it's it's really shocking. And I can think of like growing up, like like playing video games that were like like you could just you're like oh that's like Grand Theft Auto or that's yeah. like this. There's all these different things where you're like that. It is crazy like to describe something. <laughs> that people got used to doing, even if yeah. it was like like the army games and all the Call of Duty stuff. Yeah, like you just just assassinating there's thousands of people. <laughs> like it is bizarre to hear it like slowly described uh-huh. what's actually happening mm-hmm. in the context of all this other human goodness. Yeah, <laughs> it's, like, it's like oh no. And he he goes on to talk what about the, the C.S. Lewis quote that hell is locked from the inside. Oh, there it is. Um, like. And with my students, I've used this example with my students when talking about Boethius. Um, And we kind of talked about like, he has, because he doesn't desire, because Trent has no desire to join the party, he can't. Mm. You have to have both ability and desire, and he doesn't have the desire, so he can't join the party. And so he's sort of imprisoned himself in in this, and and Gibbs goes on to continue... um, and he says, you decide Trent would be more miserable in a cage of his own making, reveling in pretend mayhem, than if he were to be put in some strange cage away from his tools of self-destruction. Like, it would be better if he was in a literal cage somewhere than to be experiencing the level of freedom that he's experienced, or false freedom that he's experiencing. Like, the complete lack of restraint that's on him is actually worse for him than if he was physically restrained. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, that's that's hyperbolic in some sense, but, but there is something to it of, like, yeah, he, he has imprisoned himself. Um, and and it's, it's seemingly inescapable. And even when given the option of, like, do you want to join the family for dinner? Do you want to have dessert? Do you want to? And it's like, nah, I'm good. Like, and and man, I remember like I don't know if I played that game in particular or something, but I remember like that almost exact kind of thing, where like oh the man. family's connected, people are, and I'm like doing my own thing. Don't bother me. I'm not trying to be mean about it, but like leave me. No, I'm good. Like just like you know, politely like no, but I'm completely in an alternate reality, and there's all these good things around me, and I'm I'm connected to none of it. And because I think what I'm doing is good. I think what I'm doing is like, this is the thing. This is what I want to be doing. Like you said, it appears to be like an absolute, right? It's the narcissist's freedom, right? Like I'm going to do what I want to do all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the slavery of that is only so clear when you see that contrast of what the good actually looks like, what it feels like, what it sounds like, what it tastes like, like all of those things. It really, I don't know. I, I hear that story and it's like, it's so sad mm-hmm. to me. Cause I know like, I know my own life or almost anybody I've known has like lived in those kinds of moments. I don't know if it's just guys in video games. Like there's- No, it's, 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 a, it's you know, you and you, you're on episode whatever of some- Yeah, yeah. A Terrible yeah. Netflix show. You're just like, this is garbage. <laughs> Why? And what then you, you hit play again, like rather than just go for a walk, you know? Uh, yes. I would feel better. The fog would clear if I just went for a walk, a 20-minute walk. But instead, I'm going to watch this another hour of this 
godforsaken show. Yeah. Um, yeah, we do those things all the time. And and he, he goes on to say, hell is not a place where everyone is finally caught. Hell is a place where you get away with everything. Ooh. Like there's no no restraint anymore. Yeah. You can, um, and, and yeah, like, and he says, uh, there is no one in hell who is good enough to tell a man to stop. Ooh. If a man has ever avoided the people who love him that he might get away with his sin, he is already in hell. Dang. <laughs> I mean, that's like, like Lewis in the great town and the great divorce. Uh-huh. It's like hell is just that place from which everyone continues to move further and further apart from one another so that they don't have to be bothered mm-hmm. by anybody. Right. Do exactly what I want to do. And when they go out to see, like, they're like, oh, these famous guys went out, traveled for however many years or whatever, hundreds of years, and then through a telescope in the distance, they could see Napoleon walking up and down the stairs, muttering, it was Josephine's fault. It was so-and-so's fault. It was so-and-so's fault. <laughs> like, he's completely free. He's completely trapped. He's, com- he's mm-hmm. like a glitching, like, robot. And it's because he has everything, and there was no restraint. And so he's just trapped in this like horrible, <laughs> distant, isolated freedom, which is hell. The mind is its own place. Man. Yeah. Well, how do how do we how do we bring this to something positive? Something how do we positive. how do we keep it? That's a, like anyway. Um, no, no, no. I hell think is isolation. Goodbye. Good night, everybody. <laughs> and five years are done. No, I I think honestly, it was really the reason that story is hits me is because it, it really did remind me of my like teenage years oh, or any, any number of years i don't want to be a teenager again it's tough but it's like seeing it from a little bit outside or just seeing honestly again the most compelling thing about that story or about what about this book for me since we are going to be sort of like rapping on this is the goodness of goodness like, yes i just love hearing him describe people in good moods like enjoying each other's mm-hmm. company like loving good food like not being like distracted from each mm-hmm. other um not having like crushing expectations of each other <laughs> you know like, kind of moving through things there's like a kind of musicality to it there's kind of like a dance to it and it's like there's just something so wonderful about like a great conversation a great friendship a great meal um, appreciating your funny family mm-hmm. for just being who they are and not blaming them for all the things or expecting them to fix all the things, you mm-hmm. know, to just like have a scene and to remember moments in my own life. And I think this happens uh, especially often with my children of just like Lisa and I just being like, gosh, darn it. That is amazing. Yeah. It doesn't get any better like, than this. She's, she texted me just a little while ago. She's like, like we got had a guitar for Christmas. He's four years old. She's like, I mean, he's either going to break it in a minute or it, maybe it'll do something. But he's got that kind of music kind of spirit. And she's like texting me today like, he's picking this up so fast. He's playing these little chords mm. with me. And she's like strumming with him. Last night when I got home, I sat down and I'm like, John and I are playing Magic the Gathering, Lord of the Rings edition. I can't even wow, believe that. Wow. I'm seven years old and we're having like a game. And then like Lisa's sitting on the floor and she's like, okay, C chord. And little Haddon's fingers are trying to find oh, the C chord. And like Violet's like drawing something. And it, and it's just a, whatever it was, a Wednesday. It was like, mm-hmm. you know, and I, it was just like there was a that, that moment of like, 
that fullness, that goodness, it's it's there more often than I ever really thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be, you know, off of the phones and off the things to be able to see it, whatever the video game is for you, like you said, whatever right. the show, whatever that thing is. But it's just the thing that keeps you from seeing uh-huh. sometimes how, like, good this could be. Right. And anything else that is tempting you at the time is like, oh, Oh, it doesn't no even way. compare. Yeah, it doesn't no even hold a candle. Get out of get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing there's nothing better when you're when you're able to see and appreciate and enjoy like the blessings of God through those ordinary good things. Yeah. Sin looks silly. Mm-hmm. It looks boring. It looks like annoying. It looks yeah. petty. It looks like a obvious distraction. We have no time for it. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I think that's what the Christian life is supposed to be. I think it's supposed mm-hmm. to be something that participates in that ordinary goodness sees it enjoys it Mm -hmm. revels in it i just love that christmas picture of all that food yeah and if you can't imagine like if if you if you feel sort of that yeah you are trapped in certain temptations or besetting sins you do need to sort of remember who you are um and and ask god to renew your imagination um, for what goodness could be, um, ask your brothers and sisters in Christ to, to help, like, help me uh, see how this could be, how life could be beautiful, how, give me something that, to compare this temptation to, so when, when it comes at me, I'm like, no, you know, the, the lust isn't worth it compared to a good marriage, or the, you know, the, the greed isn't worth it, uh, versus my health or whatever, like help me to see, mm. help me to see what I, uh, the meagerness of the thing I'm pursuing. I think that's why I started the podcast to begin with. It was like, yeah, I want people to read literature, you know, I want, but it was just because I just, that's one thing that's good. Yeah. And it's just like, there's so much more than just like the crisis cultural war of like, Christians versus the world mm-hmm. that that I grew up and experienced and and see all the time. I'm just like there's so much more oxygen, there's so much more flavors, there's so much more beauty, there's so much more joy and laughter. There's just so much more to a life in the Lord. Like the mm-hmm. Lord just loves life. Everything that we've enjoyed, like everything we enjoy is from him. Like that mm-hmm. it's not some unspiritual like radically <laughs> kind of off the no. chart thing or something. Every good and perfect gift. Every good and perfect gift. And uh, as much to exhort myself as anybody else, it's just like let's talk more about those things mm-hmm. so that life opens up a little bit bigger and we're not as driven by the election cycle and all the things that have everyone panicking and anxious and yeah you know to just be able to enjoy life in the lord and grow in that and look forward to that anticipate that expect that mm-hmm. and that that's the heart behind all of these words over the last four and a half years and i think that christmas morning which is not too far behind us um, right. There's something to that. I think that's 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 what it is. That's what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Well, Laura, I appreciate you uh, always being there uh, to kind of to kind of follow through with things that I know are good and that um, we set out to do. I think it was just me. It would have just collapsed a long time ago. Um, You're the man with the vision. (laughs) Yeah, you got to be careful. You don't want to be around too many people with vision uh, without being able to execute. Um, But we did, 
we did enjoy this book. There is uh, more in this book. We do recommend it. Not that you have to agree with everything, but if nothing else for the stories, mm-hmm. um, for some of those glimpses, or even just as it's been for us, genuinely a conversation starter. Yeah. Um, we didn't talk about it a lot beforehand. We just kind of hop on here and, and right. start There's talking about the things say. we were thinking as we were reading. So we recommend that. And in general, recommend, you know, just go for that walk, man. Just the simple good things that you could be aware of even today as you hear this. Like, thank the Lord for it. It's from him. It's for him. Uh, but it is for us to just enjoy. Mm-hmm. And I think that puts the devil and his yeah. his temptations in their proper place. Yeah. Be empowered to uh, throw something away today that's not helpful to you. And uh, yeah, ask the Lord to give you a vision of what some beautiful things in your life are. Amen and amen. All right, my friends, we'll be back one more time to close out. Um, Last dance. To close <laughs> closing time. <laughs> to close out uh, from Babylon with love. Uh, and uh, we thank you guys for hanging in there and for uh, listening along with us. Um, we'll see you on the next one. <laughs>